From the winning team, the Jacobs family, we have here with us Buster and his brother Willie, and they're gonna play for a chance to win how much money, guys? Twenty thousand dollars. That's right, twenty thousand big ones. Twenty thousand dollars here today, guys. One question for you: Are you ready? We were born ready. <laughs> That's great. I love the confidence. Okay, guys, why don't we go ahead and get started? Here's what we're going to do first. Willie, I'm going to have you go to our soundproof room so you can't hear your brother's answers. Well, here we go. Let me just show you how the game works really quick here, Buster. I'm going to ask you five questions that you are to give your best answer to in 20 seconds or less. You have to do it under 20 seconds. When I'm finished, I will give you points based on what our survey of people have said. Okay, then I will ask Willie the exact same questions in 15 seconds, which there cannot be any duplicates. And then if you guys get a combined total of 200 points, you win how much money? $20,000. $20,000, that is correct, Buster. One question for you, are you ready? Let's roll. He says let's roll. You know what, can we go ahead and put 20 seconds on the board? Buster, the time will begin after I finish reading the first question. Here we go, first question. Name a food that often gets stuck in your teeth. Corn. Name the smartest animal. Dog. Name something people do when they have extra time in the morning. Read. Besides a gift, what's something you give someone on their birthday? A card. Something some people do to entertain a baby. Sing. All right, Buster, you are finished. Why don't we turn around and see how you did? Here we go. Question number one was, name a food that often gets stuck in your teeth. Buster, you said corn, and the survey says... 37. Wow, Buster, that is our number one answer from our survey team. You are doing good. Question number two, name the smartest animal. Buster, you said dog. And our survey says 29. Buster again with our number one answer. 29 in dog. What a great answer, Buster. All right, number three. Name something people do when they have extra time in the morning. Buster said, read. Survey says, 53. Buster again with the highest number on our survey of 53. Buster, you are getting towards that 200 really, really quick, buddy. 
That is our number one answer again. Looking very, very good so far. Question number four. Besides a gift, what is something you give someone on their birthday? Buster, you said a card. Survey says 46 Wowzers. Buster, again, our number one answer. Going on to the last, number five question. Name something people do to entertain a baby. Buster, you said sing. Now, Buster, do you have a good voice? I do. I do. Do you really? <laughs> I feel like you do. I'm sure I do. All right, just joking with you. Survey says 34 again. Our top answer, you are one away from having 200 yourself. Looks like you have 199, Buster. That means Willie only needs one point to win. Buster, thank you so much. Why don't we now have Willie come out so that he can be our next player. Now, Willie, your brother did an excellent job. He actually got 199 right. That's right. So, Willie, here's the thing. All you need is one point to be able to get 200 and to be able to win $20,000! That's right, $20,000, Willie. And you know what? I would just give it to you, but the rules state that we have to go through the questions. Let me tell you this, since it's a little more difficult, I'm going to put 25 seconds on the clock for you here. So let me just go through the rules real quick with you like I did your brother. Would you like me to do that? No, I don't need rules. Don't put your rules on me. Let's just roll. Daddy needs a new El Camino today. Wow, I like this guy's attitude. Here we go. Willie, are you ready? Let's do this. Here we go. First question. Let the clock begin. Name a food that often gets stuck in your teeth. Alligator. Name the smartest animal. Humans. Name something people do when they have extra time in the morning. Listen to Journey's Greatest Hits, disc number two. Besides a gift, what's something you give someone on their birthday? Uh, yeah, puppy. Puppy. Name something people do to entertain a baby. You know how, like, when you flip your eyelids up? That's what I say, flip your eyelids up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, time's up. Yep, okay, we'll get you down for flip your eyelids up. All right, Willie, let's see how you did. I hope that you were able to get that one point to equal 200 that equals $20,000. Willie, I do have my suspicions, though. Why don't we go ahead and take a look at the survey for question number one. Name a food that often gets stuck in your teeth. Willie, you said alligator. Survey says zero. Willie, I am sorry. None on that one. None of our surveyors answered alligator right there. And here we go to the second one. Name the smartest animal. You said humans. Survey says zero. None for humans either. Wow. Hopefully we'll get this one point one way or another. Question number three. Name something people do when they have extra time in the morning you said listen to Journey's Greatest Hits, Volume 2. Survey says, oh, no Journey's Greatest Hits, Volume 2 on there, Willie. 
Still looking for that one point. We're going on to question number four. Besides a gift, what's something you give someone on their birthday? Willie, you answered a puppy. And are you confident about this one? I'm pretty sure on this one. Let's just see the answer and get on with this $20,000 business. Let's go. Okay, here we go. Do we have puppy? Oh, no puppy either. That is another goose egg. This is rigged. I don't know what you guys are. What who are you polling? Willie, uh, Willie, I assure you this is not rigged. And uh, we have surveyors. It's random all across the country. So it's definitely a random survey. And we get answers that usually most of the people answer most of the time. So, Willie, can you get one point on question number five? Here we go. Name something people do to entertain a baby. You mumbled a little bit, but at the end, I believe you said flip up your eyelids. Do we have flip up your eyelids? No, we don't. Zero again. Wow, I don't know if we've ever had this happen on our show. You only need one point, and you didn't get it. Willie, I'm very, very sorry, but thank you so much for watching Family Feud. What a great episode and an awesome ending, but not so good for this family. Please join us again in watching Family Feud. How do you follow that? I don't quite know, but uh, we're talking this weekend about family, and we're beginning a brand new series uh, that we are doing this weekend and the next four weeks on basically things that we as adults are dealing with, kind of uh, adult felt needs, if you would, and, uh, and so we're kind of going along with the game show, and this week we're going to talk about family with Family Feud, and just as you saw from the clip with Willie and Buster, family can definitely be funky, if that's what we could say, and I'm sure nobody has any family like that. On the, I'm from Arkansas, so it's a little bit more, right? So, uh, but uh, today I, I want to talk to you about family and, and, and how that works and, and what God's Word says about the divine blessing that happens in a family. I, family is a sacred thing. And God established the home before He ever established the church. And it's important to remember that, that God established the home before He ever established the church. And when you're talking about the home... Uh, that is, God intended the home to be a place where, for spiritual learning and growth and development. And if we're not careful, we can replace the home with church when it comes to the spiritual development of our children and of our own lives. And, and, it's, and that was never the intention. I, there's some notes you can follow along if you want to follow along with this message on the back side of the bulletin that you received when you came in. And there's a statement that I want to make. God never intended for the church to replace family, but to complement it. God never intended for the church to replace a family. He created the church to complement it. So how do we experience divine blessings in our homes uh, and in our lives and in our families? Well, there's three statements I want to give you. And basically, this is a topical message about the blessing of God in our families and in our homes today. And the first statement is this. Decide where you're going to live and own it. Decide where you're going to live and own it. Wherever your home is going to be, decide where you're going to live and don't rent that space or lease that space, own that space. And again, I'm talking about the spiritual environment of your home, not so much the physical place, but the spiritual place of it. 
And the Bible talks about this in Joshua chapter 24. We're going to get there in just a minute. But Joshua chapter 24, verse 11 through verse 15. Joshua has been leading the nation of Israel and through the promised land. What's happened before his leadership was 40 years in the desert under Moses' leadership. And prior to that, they were in captivity and they were enslaved under, under the Egyptian government. God brought them out, and, and the Exodus chronicles the story in the Old Testament. It chronicles the, the, the story, the account of the Israelites leaving Egypt, going through the desert, arriving in the Promised Land, crossing the River Jordan, and beginning to take over the Promised Land. And Joshua is speaking here in Joshua chapter 24, verse 11 through 15. I'm going to read this for you. Uh, you can read along in your Bible. It's also going to be on the screen as we go through this. Joshua says this, Then you crossed the Jordan, and you came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and also did the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Canaanites, all the otherites, right? But I gave them into your hands, God said. And I set a hornet ahead of you and drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. And you did not do it with your own sword or bow. They didn't have to involve any kind of physical conflict. Verse 13, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities that you did not build and you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all your faithfulness and throw away the gods your forefathers worshiped beyond the river, the river Jordan, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now when they were in captivity in Egypt because of the Egyptian uh, civilization, they were taking a lot of different idols and worship and that kind of deal and kind of amalgamating that in. And Joshua's saying, look, you've got to leave all that stuff behind and choose who you're going to serve. Verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that first part of verse 15. It says, but if, you're, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose what you're going to do. But Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, God doesn't play rock'em, sock'em robots with us. God actually gives us a free moral choice and the ability to choose what we're going to do and how we're going to do that. And God is saying here again, pick what house you're going to live in. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the world? Are you going to serve Jesus or are you going to serve the devil? Are you, are you going to live for God or are you going to live for yourself? Decide where your address is going to be on this issue. It's up to you. If you don't want to live for God, then don't live for God. If you're going to live for God, live for God. But, but make a decision. And when you make that decision, then own that space. At least own it and live it. Make a decision. And so Joshua's given us a, a, a really incredible principle when it comes to our home and to our living. Are we going to live for Jesus or not? And as parents, if you're going to live for Jesus, then just make that statement and declare that and live there. And if you're not, then declare that. I'm not going to live for God and live there. But don't have residency here and there and move all over. And, and how this works in our own family is this, is that sometimes people think that just because they go to church or they, they give a mental connection to who God is or they do good things that all of a sudden that they're saved or that they're okay or that they give money to charitable organizations in the world and, and you know, if there's a world disaster, they give money to that. So because they do enough good things that they're okay. No, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, that we are saved, period. So going to church doesn't save me. 
going, doing good things doesn't save me. Anything that I do doesn't save me. Paul says, it's for by grace that I've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ and that not of myself. It's a gift of God lest I would boast or begin to brag about it. So wherever I'm going to live, though, I need to declare that. I need to declare that my home's going to be a home that's going to serve the Lord or it's going to be a home that's going to serve me. It's going to be a home that's going to serve God or it's going to be a home that's going to serve the devil. It's going to be a home that's... But i got to make a decision. Does that make sense? And a lot of times we live in this ambiguity, this, this ambiguous life of, of this state of gray. And what happens is, is our kids that are looking to us, they don't know where we're going. And they're real smart. Because kids hear what you say, but they also see what you do. You figured that one out yet? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and so they're, not just, they're not just hearing what you teach them. They're also catching what you're doing. Some things are not just taught, they're caught. And the most powerful way is to speak it and to live it and make sure that what we say and what we do are congruent. And one of the best ways to do this with our own salvation and our spirituality is to, de- to tell our kids and to declare it to them that we're going to serve God, that we love Jesus Christ, that we are Christ followers, that this is a Christian home and the things that are going to happen in this home and they are going to happen on this property are going to glorify God Period. And if they don't like it, then they can either leave while they're 16 and they know everything, or when they grow up, they can do what they want to do. Did your parents ever tell you that? Mine did to me many, many, many times. The reality is, is you as parents are are defining that, you're deciding that, and you need to make a decision. And not only do you need to make a decision in your heart, but you need to confess that decision. You need to tell your spouse. You need to tell your children. You go, well, that's kind of silly. I mean, my kids see that. We go to church every week, and this... Do they just think that going to church every week saves you? Well, how else do they know? Because you sit down and you talk to them. This is a great verse. Matter of fact, this is our memory verse for the week that I'm challenging all of you to memorize. It's Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose you this day whom you serve. It's for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Why? Because you can sit down and tell your kids, you know what, this past week... But we're in service and, and pastor asked us to memorize a verse and here's the verse that I'm memorizing this week. And I just want you to know that I and your mother, that we serve God and that we are Christ followers and that we're going to live for him and that this home is going to be a home that's going to glorify God from what we do to what we say to how we act and how we behave. And talk to them about this. They already pick up on it, but talk to them about it. Does that make sense? Make a decision how your home is going to be. Make a decision to establish your home built upon godly principles. Make a decision that you're going to do that. And if you're not, then make a decision that you're not and tell them, we're not going to serve God. But don't play games and don't mix it up. Very, very, very crystal clear. Have you ever heard a pastor tell you don't serve God and don't have a Christian home and a Christian family? I'm telling you, you're better to establish that you're not going to do these things than you are to confuse your children and the people that live in your house and under your roof that you say one thing and you do something else. Be consistent. Pick where you're going to live and own it. Either accept Christ and embrace it or reject him and leave it. But it's your decision. But if you're going to have a godly home that's going to be blessed by God, the first way you do that is to dedicate it unto God and to declare it to be so. Now, as a pastor, I have a really unique situation because I have two daughters and I have to explain to them that we're not doing the things that we do because dad's a pastor. We do what we do because we're Christ followers. So if I tell you you can't do something, it's not because I pastor a church and I'm scared what the people in the church are going to think or that I'm scared what I'm going to have to deal with in a board meeting. It's because of the fact that we're Christ followers. I mean, I'm man enough to look at anyone and defend my lifestyle according to Scripture with anybody and go toe-to-toe. I'm not worried about that. 
And I'm teaching my kids how to walk in the confidence of God's word and the confidence of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not going to make them live a life because I'm the pastor of the church. Well, there's just certain things that just, no, 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 no. There may be things that I do and don't do. There are things that Tammy does and that she doesn't do, uh, but, but, but not because they're right or wrong. Paul says not just because something's right or wrong means it's okay. It's is it beneficial. So there are things in my role that I just don't do because it's just not beneficial. It's not that it's sin or not sin. It's just not beneficial to my walk and to my leadership. But my children are different. And so what I want to establish with them is that we don't do these things because dad is the pastor. We do these things or don't do these things because we, the Cole family, are, choose to follow Jesus. And then I look at them and say, did you make a decision to follow Jesus? And they go, yes, dad, because they've heard this before. And, and, and I said, well, no, no, you did, right? Did I make you do that? No, you didn't make me do that. Did you, why did you do that? Because I wanted Jesus Christ to come in my heart and come into my life, and I want to live my life for Jesus. So you're a Christ follower. Yes, then we're all going to act like it. And if we're not going to act like it, then we're not going to do it. Right? We're either going to split. Here's, here's my philosophy in life. I'm either going to split heaven wide open or hell wide open, one of the two. You may go, wow. Listen, isn't that what the Scripture says? You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the, hate the other, hate the one and love the other. You are either going to serve God or you're going to serve the God of this world. It's your choice. And I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. Email God at godofhotmail.com. I'm just telling you what the book says. And so we do those things. And, so, and we teach that. Like, for instance, you know, you go, well, there's three services. And I know that your family's here on Saturday night. You're here on Sundays. And, and how does that work with your kids? I mean, they're having to be, well, yes. But we, but we have a principle at Life Church called serving and being served. And if this is your home church, this is something you should be a part of. You should be setting in a service and receiving from that service as we serve up the bread of life hot and flesh, fresh. And you should also be serving somewhere. So one service they choose to serve and another service we're served in. And that's how we do it. Not because we are pastors, but because I am living what I expect you to be doing. And so there's that consistency of we're Christ followers. Take your house and own it. The second thing, if you're, when, when you do that and you want to have God's blessing on your home and on your family, is put out the welcome mat. Put out the welcome mat. Now, for this, we look at, at the life of David in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And to give you a little bit of background on this, David uh, understands that the, that the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence and the power of God. It was something that God instructed Moses to build with the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Uh, in the book of Exodus, it gives us the description of it. It's a four foot by two and a half foot by two and a half foot box that represents the power and the presence of God. And in, and in, and in Israel's moves and their establishment of Jerusalem, they lose this. Ark of the Covenant, for those of you that are kids of the 80s, Indiana Jones, right? Okay, this is the Ark of the Covenant, remember? Uh, and so Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that, that's the whole deal, right? And I'm not being funny, but I mean, this really. So, so that's, that's the object that Indiana Jones was after. This is the object that, that, that David himself is trying to bring back to Jerusalem because the Ark of the Covenant possessed a very special power. Whoever possessed it was blessed. The Ark of the Covenant was so powerful because it represented the power and the presence of God that they would literally bring it into battle and they would, win, they, would, they would win the war. We just read about that in Joshua as he's talking about the battles that they went into war with that they never pulled a sword out or a bow. They had no physical conflict because the power of God was with them and they were able to destroy their enemy. 
David is trying to bring this as a leader of Israel. He's trying to bring the ark back to Jerusalem and to bless Jerusalem and to kind of put everything back into tact in order to serve God. And in the process of doing this, he does it incorrectly because anytime God gives you instructions to do something, there's a way that God has to do it. And so in the process of doing this, a man grabs the ark and in doing so touches it. And because, uh, and because that was incorrect, he dies. And David now is afraid, how do I get this back? What do I do? We've got to find out. I need to, I need to talk to the, to the tribe of Levi, to the, to the Levitical priest, and make sure that we're doing this in a correct way because I feel like the blood of this man is on my, on my hands because I wanted to bring this back, and he brought it back incorrectly. And so we pick it up here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? For he was willing... He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him to the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The Bible never gives you information that's, that's useless. They're letting you know who this is, it's whose house it's at, and also the fact that he's not a Hebrew. He's not an Israelite. He's a Gittite. So he has no connection with God. He doesn't serve Jehovah God. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Again, they're letting you know that. For three months, and the Lord blessed him, the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant was there. Because the presence of God was there. Whenever you're going to establish your home is going to be a home that's going to follow Jesus. Then you're welcoming the presence of God into your house. You're putting out a welcome mat and saying, God, I want you to be here. God, I want you to, 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 to be established. I want you to be blessed. I, I want you to feel welcome. Not, in, not to the church, but to my home. You realize God doesn't reside in, 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 in tabernacles and in church buildings. You know that, don't you? The Bible says that He resides in the hearts and lives of men and women. That Jesus makes His home in our heart. That's why we ask Jesus to come into our heart and into our life, because He doesn't reside in the buildings made by the hands of men. These are just tools. These are just places for us to meet together. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people, that God lives, He inhabits, He habitats. Habitates in the presence of the people. And so when the people begin to praise God, we're two or more gathered together, there he is in the midst of them. And so even in your home, the presence of God can be there. Why? Because you as Christ followers, as a home, you've established that, that, that and you're inviting the presence of God in. The same way that they would bring the Ark of the Covenant back and that the Ark would, would, would possess the presence and the power of God and would bless even someone that's not a Christ follower. This presence of God has the ability to bless because the principles work. It's true. Now, this Ark of the Covenant was four feet by two and a half feet by two and a half feet. It wasn't some huge object. But in it, there were three things that were inside the Ark of the Covenant. First, there were stone tablets that were carved by the hands of God, the law of God. Secondly, there was a jar of manna, which is manna was the bread that fed the nation of Israel during the, during the 40 years in the wilderness. Every single day that they were there, they would get up and manna would be there and they would go get this fresh bread and it would only last for that day for that 24-hour period and then it would, it would spoil and go bad. And the day before the Sabbath, they would have two days portion and it would, it would only last through the Sabbath and when the Sabbath ended, then there would be new bread. And, it, and, and so there was this jar of manna and the third object that was in this ark of the covenant was the staff that Aaron used uh, that budded, that showed the life was in the leadership. 
See, Abraham had a speech, excuse me, Moses had a speech impediment. And when God calls Moses to, to exile the nation of Israel from Egypt and bring them to the promised land, Moses has a conversation with God and says, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I can't speak. But I have a brother. His name is Aaron, who is a good speaker. And he could, could I utilize him to speak to Pharaoh on my behalf? The words that you give me. And God says, okay, I won't speak to him, but I'll speak to you. And you can tell him and he can be part of your leadership cabinet and council. And so the staff that Aaron uses is one that God blesses because it signifies leadership. Stone tablets that were the, that were the law of God, a jar of manna, and Aaron's staff that budded. Those were the three objects that were inside. And, and, and those three things symbolize this. First of all, the law of God, the words of God. Secondly, manna symbolized the, 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 the resources, the, the blessing, the, the thing that God was the provision, the provisionary power of God. And the, and the staff represented God's leadership. And can I tell you today that the same thing is true today, that if in your home you will have those three things, you're putting out the welcome mat to God and you're inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit into your home and he will live in your home and he will dwell in your home and in your family. The first thing is, is God's word. And I'm not talking about a huge family Bible that's sitting on the coffee table. I'm talking about taking out the word of God, blowing off the dust off the top. Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Open it up and reading it and devouring it and eating it and feeding upon it and digesting it in a spiritual manner where you're talking about it, where you're hearing about it. The Bible says in in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we as parents are to take the teachings of God's word and we're to talk to our children about them. We're to put them up on the doorpost. So you know when you put up a scripture to memorize on the refrigerator or on the mirror, that's actually way more biblical than what you give it credit for. That goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're to talk about it when our kids get up in the morning. We're to talk about the principles and the word of God as they go to bed at night. We're to talk about them on the way there and on the way back. We're to constantly be having a conversation that's built around the principles and the power and the presence of God's word. Why? Because God's word never returns empty. God's word is always good. God's word always works. God's word gives us the ability and the answers to every single thing that we're going to deal with in life. Not my words. My words will fail. My words will fade. You'll forget this message. You probably don't even know what I preached last week. I can't remember what I preached last week. That helps you at all. But, 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 but God's word never changes. God's word is yes and amen. It's steadfast. It's immovable. It's unshakable. It's, it's powerful. And it has the ability to produce life every single time. And so if you have God's word open and alive and read and discussed in your family and in your home, God's there. It's the power of his word. That's why it so bugs me when people say to me, well, I'm leaving Life Church or I'm coming to Life Church because the church that I am, I'm coming from or because Life Church didn't feed me. People go, I'm not being fed where, I'm, where I've been at or Life Church isn't feeding me. And anytime I hear someone say that, here's what I hear. It's like a huge alarm going off on the top of their head. And it says spiritual immaturity. Margaret, I can't believe he just said that. Let's rewind that. Make sure he just said the same thing. I just think he said, spiritual immaturity. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that we as Christ followers, when we come to a particular place of maturity in Jesus Christ, we are to become self feeders. We are able to read God's word for ourselves. The Holy Spirit gives us the the divine giftings and the power of the Holy Spirit according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 that they're supernatural gifts that come to our our lives as believers that we have revelation and insight and knowledge into God's word and that God's word's alive and that it works in our life. And so I don't have to have somebody feeding me, spoon feeding me every single week. I can read God's word for myself and God's word can speak 
to me. It's the reason why Jesus said, you no longer need a high priest. I become your high priest. You can boldly come to me with any problem, any situation, any di- at any time, at any day, in any hour, and I will approach the throne of God, and I'll obtain the grace and the mercy that you need because I paid the price for your sins. And that there's nothing that you're going to face that I don't already know about, that I haven't already experienced. And so, 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 so when I hear someone saying, well, I'm not being fed, I want to say, do you not know how to feed yourself spiritually? Maybe you don't then let me help you get on a discipline and a diet of God's word and of prayer. It's having a conversation with God where you speak to God and opening up his word and let him speak to you. Now, I look around this room and I look at my own self and I learned how to eat. And if you won't feed me, I'll find a place to eat. And if you invite me to your house over for a party and you don't have enough food or you have no food, I'll kindly excuse myself and I'll come back, but I'll come back with a couple of meatball subs or something, but I'm going to eat. And I'm not one of these individuals that I get up in the morning and go, wow, have you ever met people like this? I haven't eaten all day long. I have never had a day in my life where that's ever come out of my mouth. People that say that to me, I just get like incensed and mad. I wake up in the morning and I go, wow, I'm hungry. Where's the food? Where's the food? Where's the food? Where's the food? I may go an hour and go, wow, I haven't eaten an hour. Where's, where's, where's the food? Where's the food? Where's the food? I have to eat and eat and eat. And I'm, I'm thinking about lunch now. I, I know what I'm eating the next. I have it planned out. I mean, this is my life. Welcome to Aaron's world. It's really great. And, 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 but, but my point is, is because I'm a self-feeder. I learned a long time ago, after a certain point, I can feed myself. And the same is true of spiritually mature Christians. Let me tell you the one mark guaranteed of every spiritually mature Christian. They know how to be a self-feeder. They know how to open up God's word for themselves and read it. It's not that I don't have something to bring insight. It's not that I can't help you. But my job is to equip you to do the work of ministry and to lead people that are far away from God to connect them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. But my job is not to be your own personal buffet every week. Mm, oh my God, somebody shout. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. And that's the reason why I'm telling you, if you'll take God's word and you'll open it and you'll read it, it'll do something powerful in your life. Provision, that jar of manna. Sometimes we like to shield, we like to shield and shelter our kids from financial difficulties that we're having. Could I tell you that that's not healthy? I mean, they don't need to be weighed down with all the burdens that you go through. I understand that. But kids know. I mean, they're smart. Come on. We, we, we way underestimate our children. They're way more resilient than we give them credit. And they're way smarter than what we give them credit. And if you're going through a difficult time as a family, financially, especially during this season, you know what's powerful to do is sit them down and tell them. Dad lost his job or mom lost her job or we got a cut here or we typically get a bonus on a quarter and we didn't get the quarterly bonus or this is happening. And so there's going to be some changes and things that we're going to have to do. But open up God's word to Malachi chapter 3. It says, but this is the and teach your kids. These are teachable moments. And say to them, you know what? We believe that God's our provision. We believe that God will provide. And how do we believe that? Take them always back to the word. I'm telling you, parents, if you teach your kids that the answer is in God's word and you always open up the word, like when your kids start asking you, what does this mean? And you tell them, go to the dictionary. You're teaching them how to learn for themselves. When you go back to God's word, every single time you're teaching them how to, this is where the answers of life are coming from. This is where I find them. This is where mom finds them. This is where dad finds them. This is where we find the answers of life. And you open up God's word and you say, Malachi chapter three says that if we bring the tithe, here's what God will do. Verse 11, verse 12, verse 13. 
and that we can test God in this. So what we're going to do is we're going to join hands right now as a family. Why? Because Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, we're two or more gathered together in his name. There he is in the midst of them. If they ask anything according to his word, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. And so because of that, we're going to join together in agreement because I, Jesus is in my heart. Is he in your heart? Is he in your heart? We've all had Jesus in our heart. So we're going to ask God that he's going to bless our finances and that he's going to show up. And that moment, what you're doing is you're teaching your kids that when problems come, you don't get on the phone and yak it up. You don't sit there in the back corner trying to figure it out with a pencil. You don't just swipe your way to happiness, but you turn to the only one that has the ability to give provision to your needs. And you're teaching them. That's where the presence of God's found. See, I, I remember as a child, my dad worked, my dad worked my entire life and retired from a factory building air conditioners. And I remember growing up in that blue-collar working family of uh, my dad was paid every Tuesday. Isn't that amazing that as a child I knew what, my, what day my dad was paid because I knew how tight things were. I can't tell you how many times that we got into that white Ford Torino. And my mother would say, no, we're going to pray that the, God's going to stretch the gas, that we can get to school, I can get to the grocery store, get home and pick you back up. Because there just wasn't much. And I remember we never ran out of gas. Didn't, I didn't connect all the dots until so I became an adult, but I thought, wow, God really heard the prayers of my mother. I remember as a kid one time that we didn't have enough money on Sunday to buy a loaf of bread, which that's probably 1977, that may be 50 cents, 35 cents. So my mother had to bake a loaf of bread on Sunday so that my dad would have food and sandwich till, uh, till we got to Tuesday. And I remember my parents, my dad would always, my dad, my dad was one of these kind of guys that he was a hard worker, not real emotional, um, but he had a devout sense of who God was and raised us with the fear and the admonition of the Lord. My dad brought the tithe regularly. Even in those times, I would watch him. The, the plate didn't pass without my dad putting the tithe check in. And my dad would teach us, God's our source. And he didn't just talk about it. I saw it. God's our source. And my dad wasn't a pastor. This isn't something I learned in theology school or, or you know, in fundraising 101 for not-for-profits. Not this is how you can make a living and pay, put food on your backs to your kids. I mean, this was what I saw raised in a blue-collar working family, not in the minister's home. And I remember we would come home with, with we could get free lunches at school because we made so little and... And we could get these things. And my dad would say, no, no, God will provide. We don't need the government. The government's not our source. It's God. That puts something in the metal of who and what I am that goes, God's my provision. We moved from one side of the state to the other when I was five in my grandfather's gravel truck because we didn't have the money to move into U-Haul. And my parents had that beautiful Nagahide furniture. Anybody remember Nagahide? That's like worth in synthetic leather, right? It's just, for those of you that don't know, it's, it's, it's a fancy word for vinyl. And so it was worn out and everything was busted and we had to have new furniture. My dad had saved up enough money and it was going to be $600 for this living room suit. And that was, back then, that's when you bought the couch and it had a hideaway sofa, right? And you had two chairs and an ottoman and then you had the two lamps and then you had the big, huge coffee table. Remember the coffee table was like as big as a casket. It was huge and it was like 500 pounds and these big end tables that had the big doors that opened up. You know what I'm talking about? It was all plastic, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. And, and the furniture, like to this day, my grandmother at her house, there's still that, that couch there. It's like indestructible. I don't know what they make of this stuff. I don't think it burns. You know what I'm talking about? And so my dad had this thing picked out, and it was the fruit basket. 
Did you ever have a fruit basket couch? Maybe some of you still do. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, so anyhow, so it was this, anyhow, wow. And, and so my dad had this, and it, so it wasn't anything crazy, but it was 600 bucks for the whole deal. And the time, and between the time that my dad ordered it and the time that it came in, I think a transmission on a car went out and all the money that he had was gone. And I remember hearing them talk about this. I was probably 10. And my dad, God will provide. Keep bringing the tithe. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. My dad, my dad had this big black lunch box that he went to lunch with that he took to work every day to the factory. Had the big thermos in the top, right? You open it up, the whole deal. My mom was washing dishes. We were all out playing. My dad was doing something else. And my mom lifts up the lunchbox to put it over to start undoing it. And she knows that there's a legal envelope there. So she opens the envelope. It's not attached. It hadn't been attached. Nothing written on it. And there were six brand new $100 bills. To this day, I mean, there, we have no idea except for the fact that God provided. Can I tell you as a kid, that puts a mark on you where you go, God will show up. I mean, dude, God rolls in some fat, nasty cash. If it's 100 crisp, I was 10, 100 $1 bills. Oh, God, I need a new Atari 2600 in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> My point is, I always saw God provide. Your kids need to see that. What stories do they have to tell? See, it's the stories. It's the God moments. It's the account where they hear the word of God and then they see it. They hear it, then they see it. They hear it, then they see it. And all of a sudden they get it. And they realize that God is not a man that he would lie. That God is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That he is the provider. And the last thing that was in that Ark of the Covenant was, God, was Aaron's staff, which represented God's leadership. If you want to put out the welcome mat for God, if you want to invite the presence of God, then invite the leadership of God into your home. See, the Bible says that when a husband and wife come together, that both of those individuals are equal, but they have different functions and different roles. And the, and the function, the role of the husband, of the man of the household, is not to lord, but it's to lead. And men, I want to talk to you for a minute. The spiritual leadership of your, not, of your home is not to be relegated to your wife. It's to be assumed by you. Your kids don't need to hear your wife praying and interceding. They need to hear you. They don't need to see your wife doing 15 Bible studies. They need to see you. They don't need to see your wife praying and reading the word in the the family living room. They need you to turn off. There's an off button on that thing called the television, right? No, you don't have one? Yes, you do. Yes, and turn it off and, and, and to open up God's word and sit there and they need to see you and they need to be able to open up your Bible and see where you've marked things and see where God showed up in, in areas and, and maybe see the tear stains. And when problems come into your family, they need to see you be the one to lead and take the knee and cry out to God. They need to see you to take your wife by the hand and to walk through the struggles. And when the, when, when, when the bad report comes, they need to see you have faith and walk in leadership in that family, that home. Because listen, Listen to me, men. I didn't come up with this. This isn't a male chauvinistic part of the message. This is God's word. Both the husband and the wife are of equal value, but they have different roles and responsibilities. And you must lead. If your family's going to be what God wants it to be, if it's going to invoke the power and the presence of God, if God's going to, to be in your family, you've got to lead. 
Because let me tell you something, you cannot take your kids where you've never been and you cannot reproduce into their lives what you don't possess. You cannot take your kids into a relationship with Jesus Christ if you yourself are not there. And you cannot reproduce a godly attitude and a God-honoring life in the aroma of Christ if you don't have it in your life. Because these things are not taught, they are caught. They need to see you. Does a mom need to do it? Yes. But does a dad need to be in leadership? Absolutely. And so many times I see men take a back seat and go, well, my wife has that gift. No, you are in leadership in that area. Well, but I just don't feel comfortable. Then don't get married and don't have kids. But you choose to do, you chose to do both. So step up to the line and be a man about it and lead in a God-honoring way. I, I know I'm all up in your kitchen right now, aren't I? There, whoa, I didn't... Can we go back to the video with William Buster? I'm just telling you, this is what we need. This is what our kids need. Our daughters need to see grown men that are full of the power of the Holy Spirit, that walk in a godly confidence and with godly purity so that they know what it's like, so that when they see that in another young man, they go, that's what my dad has. That's what I want. That's who I want to marry. They need to see it in our wives. Our, our young men need to see it in, our, in, in, in their mothers to see a purity and a holiness and, and the, hear, smell the aroma of Christ that when they see that in another young lady, they go, that's exactly who I want to marry because she's got the exact same purity and holiness. She's got a God connect that, 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 that I see in the women of God in my life and in God's word. See, we've got to be examples of this. And I'm telling you, if God's word is present and prominent in our homes. If the provision of God, if we connect the dots for our kids and show that God's our source and that he's our resource and this is why we bring the tithe, this is why we practice the word of God, this is why we lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, we would fall. And we lead, we lead, we lead our families. Then God's presence will be there. And that's what the word means. When you trade up a child in the way that he or she should go when they're old or not depart from it. Mm, you may not be smoking when I'm selling, but I'm telling you the truth this morning. It's right there. And at the end of the day, if you want to have that blessing in your home, that's the thing. And the last thing that, 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 that we see in Scripture is you need to make sure that when you get a home and you own it, you put out the welcome mat, the third thing you need to do is make sure you get homeowner's insurance. Insurance is going to spiritually protect your home and keep it safe. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the Bible says this, By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Say, save his family. Why did Noah build the ark? To save his family. I always thought it was to be spiritual. I always thought it was because God said. No, he built the ark. His personal motivation was to save his family. The ark is a literary foreshadowing of, of, of the things that are, it's a, it's a Christ type of what's to come. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see these literary foreshadowings. We see these Christophanies, these Christ types. And the ark is a Christ type of the same way God spoke to Moses and brought a provision for humanity to be saved. So God speaks to his son and his son follows him. And his son comes to this earth. His name is Jesus. And he lives on this earth and he dies on the cross for our sins. You have to build an ark to save your family. I thought Jesus did, yes. But, but a mechanism, thanks guys, a mechanism in which, to, in which to 
in which to lead your family. The same way you can't, God doesn't play rock'em sock'em robots with your life. He's not on some cosmic joystick controlling your actions. You can't control your kids' actions. You figured that out when they were two, right? But what you can do is provide a way. What you can do is make a way. What you can do is create a way of salvation. What you're doing by your life, what you're doing by your actions, what you're doing right now by bringing your kids to church, you're creating a way. And when they come to church, they go, I don't want to go to Life Kids. And you check them in anyhow because you know that that's going to be a suitable spiritual environment. So instead of them sitting here texting or playing games on your phone or sitting here playing a a DS, yeah, I see it all. Instead of doing that, they're actually in there where they're hearing God's word in a way and in a fashion in which they can get it. Why? Because you're teaching and training them because you're creating an ark so you're building an ark to save your family. And you're bringing them every week to Wednesday night. You're, you're building an ark to save your family. You're coming to Married Life Live. I think there's like a dozen spots still open on Friday night. And if you're married, you need to be here at Married Life Live. If you got trouble in your marriage, don't call me and ask me to pray. Show up on Friday night and do something to help yourself. Be a part of something like this. It's going to be proactive in your life. You're going to spend it on that or you're going to spend it in a divorce attorney. It's your choice. Why? Because you're creating an ark to save your family. See, it's all these actions and these things. The things that you're doing today, you're creating an ark to save your family. We must do that for the next generation, for our children. See, there are things that I do and don't do sometimes, not because they're right or wrong, but because it's not beneficial for my kids. They don't get it. They don't understand it. It's mixed signals. And I try really hard, and I'm not perfect. Oh, my goodness. If you spent a day with me, you'd see how imperfect I am. But I try really hard to make sure that the things that I'm saying and the life that I live are the same. And that when I mess up, that I fess up and say, you know what? I blew it. I'm sorry. And I've done that to my kids. Why? Because they already know it. I might as well at least admit it and, and teach them how you own up for the things that you... See, everything I'm doing, I'm teaching and I'm training them. And I'm growing them and I'm developing them. And what I'm doing today to you is I'm giving you tools. Because some of you in this room, you're young men and you're yet to get married. But these are principles that if you will download in your life now, you will be able to live out when you get married and when you have a family of your own. Some of you young ladies in this room, you're single now. But I'm telling you, if you'll take and you'll download these principles, there are going to be things that are going to help you. Some of you in this room, you're single parents. And you go, how, do, how is this applicable to me? Either my spouse isn't saved or I'm leaving alone and my kids are in both, you know, we're divorced and all that kind of stuff. You know what I love about Scripture? Jesus said he came to become a father to the fatherless and a husband to the, to the widow. You know what that means? It means that God will make up the gap. He'll give you the grace. That's pretty cool. You do the very best that you can. Don't live under condemnation and guilt. The Bible says that we're in Christ Jesus. There's therefore no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of sin and death is passed. Because that which condemns us, our sin, God doesn't condemn you, it's your sin that condemns you, has been forgiven and forgotten. And the only person that remembers it is you. So leave it alone and move forward. But God will give you the strength and the ability to do that. Do you really believe that, preacher? Yeah, I do. Because that's what his word says. To live it as a family, as a married unit. To be a young, to be a lady who supports the role of her husband and who, and who also in her own right leads with a confidence and, with, and with, with such a spiritual purity in her life. 
to do that. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to wrap everything up with two things. Number one, I want to give you an opportunity that if you have yet to decide to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, that I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Not going to be crazy, not going to be emotional per se. I mean, maybe where you are, but, but what I'm basically going to do, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, that you're saved. That's it. It's not about going to church. It's not about liking me. It's not becoming a member of a church. It's not about getting christened or whatever. It, it's, it's, it's an action of, of an internal action. Because if it was an outward thing, the Bible says it's for by grace that we've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any of us would boast or brag about it. So if you've yet to give your life to Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to simply pray a prayer. And if you believe the prayer that you're going to pray, you're making a decision to give your life to Christ. Second thing I'm going to do today is pray for you as a family. That God will strengthen you and bless you. Because here's what I know about you. Everybody in this room, listen to what I'm going to say. You are here today because you want to serve God. You want to be God-honoring people. You want to be God-honoring parents. You want to serve God. And I'm going to pray that God helps you. I'm going to pray that God gives you grace. And man, I know I've talked pretty straight to you today. But here's the reality. The Bible says that around our home there's a hedge. And through that hedge there are gates. This is very exemplary in the life of Job. And we have to make sure, just like the doors of our homes are locked when we go to bed at night, not to allow a bad element to come into our home. We have to make sure that the, that the gates around the hedge of our homes are shut and locked to make sure that nothing that's not supposed to be in comes in. And if we are truly more than a physical being, if we are comprised also of spirit, there's a spiritual nature, there's a spiritual side to everything that goes on in this world. And so the things that we do and the things that we don't do, we are either locking and shutting those gates or we are opening and exposing our family to those gates. Statistically speaking, men in the church, one of the biggest quote-unquote secrets, which is not really secret, sins that they deal with, that we deal with as men, is of a sexual nature. And it shows itself through pornography more than anything. And you think nobody knows and nobody sees. But the Bible says that which is done in secret and in darkness is brought to light. And how the sins of the father are brought to light in the household are through the children. But my kids don't see and my kids don't know. And, and I don't even know if my spouse knows. Or maybe they know, maybe they don't. Maybe they're okay with it, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're allowing lust to fill in, into your heart. You're allowing deviant behavior to fill into your heart. You're allowing, you're opening a gate. It's like leaving the front door of your house open and telling any criminal in town, hey, bust in and break in and take what you want to take. You would never do that. The same way you've got to Shut that gate. How do you do that? By confessing your sins because God's faithful to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and repenting of your sins, doing a 180 and doing it no more. And if you have a hard time doing that, then you may need to get some help even beyond that in order to make sure that that gate stays shut. Why? Because what happens is, is it becomes a behavior and you don't even realize because these things are, are caught, not taught, and they begin to show up. And, and, what, and, and, and in essence, long story short, we open up gates and they show up in our kids and in their lives. And that's why I'm talking to you so firmly today. Because if you shut the gates, 90% of the junk that's dealt with would be eradicate it. Lead. And my prayer is going to be today that you, God gives you the ability to lead and to do 
listen, life is complicated and this world is not easy. And every indication in the world that we live in is that we're not home yet. And what a day that will be when we don't have to wrestle with this thing called sin anymore. But until then, God's grace is gracious and great enough to sustain us. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?